Well, today we begin a new uh, sort of a mini-series. We'll spend two weeks on the subject at hand. And uh, we're going to be talking about healing. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you today that uh, I am doing something that just goes so against my nature. And that is, I'm going to have to preach half of a sermon to you. And that's really driving me crazy because what I am preaching this week and next week was prepared to be delivered in one week. It was fully my intention to deliver that in one week. And when I got it all down... I realized, unless you brought a sack lunch, there's no way we're going to get to do this in in one week. So uh, I'm going to give you the first half uh, today and hope that you'll come back next week and get in on the second part because you just need to understand these all fit together as one. And you'll understand when we're done today, we're not done. We're just going to chop this thing off and pick up the same place uh, next week as we talk about healing. We're going to look in uh, Luke chapter 9, if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, starting in verse 1 of Luke 9, which is Luke 9 and 10 tell us about two of the sendings out of the disciples and of the larger group of followers that Jesus sent out two by two. And in Luke 9, we get some of the specific instructions of Jesus to his followers, and they're instructions to us. It's just a a basic uh, sickum instruction for what the church is called to do today. You can read this not just as instructions to the twelve, but to us today about how we're supposed to do ministry. And it says, beginning in verse 1 of Luke 9, that when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, boy, there's just a ton of stuff in just those two verses, and we don't have time to just fully dwell on that, but I want to spend a couple of minutes just talking about that as sort of a launching pad, that as Jesus is giving instructions to the disciples, you, you hear again that, that familiar ring of the threefold ministry of Jesus, what he did, what he had his disciples and the wider circle of followers do, and the th- same thing he called us to do today, and it, it just comes down to this, heal diseases, cast out demons, declare the message of the kingdom of God. Now, we just spent five weeks talking about dealing with the demonic and how to minister deliverance, how to be free spiritually. It's really important stuff, and some of you right now are going, I'm so glad he's done with that. Just got tired of the whole demon thing. I know for some people that is just not a happy topic, not something that you want to camp on, but we're not going someplace weird when we talk about this stuff. This is basic Christianity. This is truly Christianity 101. And the the funny thing, the, the sort of peculiar thing about it is we'll look at a series like what we just came out of, what we're talking about in the next few weeks, and go, wow. I mean, you know, for some people it's like, man, that's going way on out there or, or really getting into some deep stuff. And the truth of the matter is, no, this is basic Christianity. These are the fundamental things that Christ called the church to do. Declare the message of the kingdom. Share the gospel and the core teachings of Christ. Explain to people what it means and what it looks like when the rule of Christ comes in your own life. And as you do that, that should be accompanied by two powerful manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And that is that sick people are made well and people who are in bondage get set free. And that's just that's like the basics of the church. And so even in the saying of that, we all have to sort of realize together, oh no. If that's basic Christianity, there's something bad wrong in a lot of the church in America today, isn't there? I mean, don't you just realize there's kind of a big uh-oh in the realization of that. It's like the church that I grew up in, like a lot of other evangelical churches, we were pretty good at one of these three. We were pretty good at the proclamation of the, of the message of the kingdom. And we'll go to that 
that line on another day because even even that part we need to make sure we're clear on that what it means to proclaim the message that the kingdom of God is at hand but then the, these other two things that were so foundational healing the sick and casting out demons and I can just tell you and a lot of you probably grew up in churches like what I grew up in where the whole thing of casting out demons that was like look if you're one of those people that you need that the assembly of God church is on the other end of town and they can probably help you we are the Baptist church. We, we are not into that. And so that was like, we don't go there with the demonic. And then in the matter of healing, in theory, we had to say, oh, absolutely, we are about that. In practice, we didn't have a clue. We just didn't. If you needed healing of any kind, the only thing we need to do was say, thank you for sharing that. We'll put you on the prayer list. Or, you know, for more spiritual than that, I tell you what, why don't we pray about that right now, which is a good practice. You know, when somebody says they, they need prayer, to pray for them right then. Or if we were just like, you know, really, really spiritual, we might put a hand on them. And the crazies might actually anoint them with oil, you know, and actually do what the scriptures say, anoint them and, and pray over them. But, I mean, the truth of the matter is, if it was a matter of healing, we just didn't know what to do. It, it just sort of felt like the only thing we've ever been told is pray for the sick and hopefully they'll get well. Now... The truth, and I'm not trying to be critical, I'm just being honest. The truth of the matter is, we didn't hardly ever see anybody miraculously healed. But we knew we were supposed to pray for sick people. And it was just kind of like, God, we're going to keep throwing stuff up at the ceiling. And if we throw it hard enough, long enough, maybe something's going to stick and you're going to heal somebody. If we just keep lobbing up names and needs and sicknesses, maybe one of these days you're just going to do something, bam, really powerful. But, I mean, the long and short of it is, if you were in need of healing and you told us about it, our response was, we'll pray for you and we'll put you on the prayer list, which means on Wednesday nights when we get together and we get through with a fellowship meal in the fellowship hall, we're going to go upstairs for 30 minutes and we're going to get an update on all those prayer needs, which is mean we're going to hear how sick they still are and then we're going to pray for them and we're going to come back next week to find out how sick they are next week. Anybody go to church like that besides me? That sound familiar to anybody? We didn't have a clue what to do in the area of healing and I just I have wonderful news for us today. Jesus is just as into healing now as he was 2,000 years ago. And it's happening on a grand scale, even though the Western church in large part, a lot of it is not very dialed into it. Thankfully, there are churches which are, and, and I'll just say as an aside, our little sister church right here, I mean, just 100 feet away, there's a lot of healing that's happening right there in their fellowship that they have been following some biblical instruction, just sound biblical teaching in the area of healing, and they're seeing miraculous healing all along. We've actually begun in our church to see miraculous healing taking place in people's lives as we get dialed into God's instruction for this. But that's a big part of the missing piece. There were really two things missing in our background uh, that they were tied together. Part of it was just sound instruction in this area, and part of it is we were scared of the Holy Spirit, just the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, everybody that talked about the Holy Spirit spoke in tongues and tried to make everybody else speak in tongues, and that made us scared to death of them. And so we were like, we don't want that. And so we stayed away from any talk about the Holy Spirit. And here's the dilemma. As a friend of mine pointed out, when I was a young adult, a guy who kind of discipled me, he said, look, the reason in our tradition we don't talk about healing is because we don't know how to fake it. Oh, that's a terrible indictment, isn't it? He said, that, I mean, that's it. The stuff that we don't know how to do, we at least know how to fake. And so we can get by. But the thing of healing is, if you're not going to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit to actually make it happen, you flat sure aren't going to fake it. 
I mean, that person who comes in and they are, they are in pain, either physically or otherwise, and they desperately need healing, how are you going to fake fixing them if you're not tapped into the power of the Holy Spirit? So, boy, we need some help in this area, don't we? And it's just wonderful to know that God is itching to just pour that out on us and has begun to do so. So, as we look at this passage, it's neat to see that Jesus started by saying, I'm giving you power and authority to do all three of these things. Now, and we've talked about this before, so we won't camp on this, but power and authority, they're not the same thing. We've said before, you know, if you came to church and you brought a loaded gun, you've got power. I mean, let me, I hope you didn't bring your gun. But, you know, you whip out a gun and you start waving it around. Before some people tackle you for a moment, you're going to have power because you had the gun. But you don't have authority to, like, arrest anybody or do anything with that. You don't have any authority in this room. Gun gives you power, but it takes more than a gun to do anything positive with that. But once you've been deputized and you carry an ID and a badge, you can actually do something productive with the power that you carry, Right? Well, Jesus is saying, I'm not just giving you magical power that you can go around and say, bam, bam, healing, deliverance, just, you know, randomly doing this. No, you, you have authority to do this in a way that brings healing, that brings wholeness and submission to Christ, you know, in a person's life. And so it's, it's really a constructive thing. I'm giving you power and authority. And who did he say you have power and authority over to begin with in this passage? It, it was related to evil spirits. Well, which evil spirits? Say again? Oh. oh, that is a big three-letter word, isn't it? I mean, how cool is this? And, and I'm not going to go back and re-preach the last series. But when you think about, all right, when you come in contact, whether it's in your own life, your family, or just somebody that God brings in your path, and you start to realize, oh, my goodness, this is what the preacher was talking about. I think that there's some demonization going on here. I think there's some oppressive spiritual stronghold stuff in place. I wonder if I have authority over that. Let's clear that up right now. I have given you power and authority over all demonic spirits. You don't ever have to wonder. Every situation you walk into, if you belong to Jesus, you've invited the Holy Spirit to fill you, you walk into that situation, you've got power to take control, you've got the authority to do what needs to be done over all of them. Isn't that cool? But it's not just over demonic spirits. Now, the next thing that he mentions, he uses two different phrases to talk about it. He says this deal about power and authority over demons, but also to cure diseases. And then he comes back and says, and to heal the sick. And in between, he sandwiches the, the phrase about proclaiming the kingdom of God. Why does he say that twice? In, we know in the Old Testament and Hebrew, they like to, to say things. One idea, they'll say it twice to reiterate it. But Luke isn't writing in Hebrew, and it's not that ancient mindset. Luke's a more modern physician, and he doesn't write with that style of repeating yourself for no reason. So why does he say it twice? I'll, I'll tell you why I think he says it twice. If you look at the structure of what he says, some of, it's not that, that it's like two, you know, where we're going to say, oh, well, in the Greek, these words meant something totally different from each other. No, he's talking about people who are sick or in pain. And one of them is tied to the demonic, and one of them's not. It's like he says, okay, I'm sending you out with the authority. You're going to be able to drive out every evil spirit that you encounter. You have the authority and the power to do that. And there's going to be a lot of sickness that accompanies that, and you're going to have the ability to heal that because those sicknesses were the result of a spirit of infirmity that made that person sick. And so when you drive those spirits out, it's going to be real easy to see healing take place. It's going to be natural then that healing is going to take place because getting rid of the enemy is going to heal some diseases. But then there's a lot of other sickness and pain that's out there. That there's nothing demonic about it. It's not about a spirit of infirmity. Person's just sick. 
There's this hurting. They've been injured. You know, something else has gone on. And they're going to need healing and great news. As you go in and preach the message of the kingdom, you're also going to be able to bring supernatural power to bear to heal those things. Now, how do we begin to do this? How do we begin to tap into this in our own lives? That's what we're going to talk about this week and next week. And where I've got to camp for a while is in order to understand how we connect with God's plan for healing in our lives and bringing healing to others, you've got to understand something about sickness. And to understand sickness, you've got to understand something about us. You've got to understand how we're wired together, or this isn't going to make a lot of sense. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about this today. We're going to begin in thinking about that with 1 Thessalonians 5.23. The message is such a cool translation of this, where Peterson translates it by saying, May God himself... The God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our Master, Jesus Christ. Isn't that a cool passage? Isn't that a cool word of blessing? May God himself make you holy and whole. Holy means completely set apart for him to do whatever he wants to with you, but not just holy and spiritual, but may he make you whole. Well, through and through, put together the way you're supposed to be put together in body, soul, and spirit. Now, I want us to to think about this because I I don't think a lot of times we have a a very full biblical understanding of how we're made and so we don't really understand how we get sick and what needs to be dealt with. And there's some of us in the room today that need healing and we don't even really understand the nature. We we may know something's wrong, but we don't understand the nature of what's wrong and, and what healing needs to take place. So I want us to think together about this. Every human being has three basic parts to who they are. Body, soul, and spirit. The body is easy enough to understand. It's the physical part of who you are. The soul, we're well acquainted with. This isn't some weird, out there kind of subject. When we talk about the soul, we think in terms of three components in the soul. The mind, the will, and the emotions. We talk about the mind. We're not talking about the brain. And, And we're talking about something beyond just a brain. We're talking about that part of you that's able to reason, not just store data, but to really think, understand, draw conclusions, have creative thoughts, all of that stuff. But you're far more than a mind. You are an emotional being, and that's different from your thought processes. You feel things. You feel things deeply. You feel sadness, grief, joy, anger. Loneliness, fear. I mean, we could go on and on. These different things that we feel. We are emotional beings. And then beyond that, this is different from the mind and from the emotions. You have a will. And this is a key part of how God made you. He could have made humans without a will. You know, where we're like baby dolls, pull the string and it has to, you know, say the same thing or do the same thing. And he didn't. He gave you an ability not only to think about and draw your own conclusions about things, but to make your own determination about where the boundaries are going to be in your life, what you're going to do. I mean, from A to Z. Where are you going to eat lunch today? It's going to be an act of your will, potentially, that you decide. You decide where you're going to eat lunch today. You decide what time you're going to get up tomorrow. You decide little things. You decide big things. What are the boundaries going to be in your relationships? Are you going to have dessert today? You know, what are the boundaries going to be for you? You have a will. That is, that is the soulish part of who you are. When you think about 
somebody that you admire and that you really want as a friend, I mean, unless you're like red hot wanting to date them, the reason that you want to count them as a friend is because of their soul. Now, granted, when it's a boy-girl thing, the body enters into it. It's like, you know, wow, he's got a hot body. She's got a nice figure or face or whatever. We, okay, beyond the physical attraction thing, the reason that you, that you want to know someone and count them as a friend is because of their soul, right? It's because of their mind, their emotional makeup, the choices that they've made. The, the soul is the core of who you are. And the body is the window for the soul to experience the world. Is that a simple enough way of putting it? I mean, your soul doesn't just get to sort of float around and experience stuff. Your soul has to be attached to something, and so it gets attached to your body. And God's given you a body that gets to take in a fair portion of the world. But it has limitations, doesn't it? I mean, think about what your body is able to do. We're able to see light within the, a certain range of the electromagnetic spectrum. We get to see everything from red to violet. But there's a bunch we can't see, right? You can't see anything in the infrared part of the spectrum. You can't see anything in the ultraviolet part of the spectrum, just what's in between. So we have eyes that take in a certain amount of stuff. We have ears that allow us to pick up a good bit of stuff right now. You're picking up the sound of my voice, the hum of the air conditioner, maybe some rustling around. You're able to pick up a good bit. But it's only a certain range that your ears can pick up. There's a lot of pitches outside of that that your ears weren't designed to pick up on. We could go on and on. So you get, your, your body becomes a window that allows you to take in a certain part of the world, a good portion of the world. And most of us live our lives fully or nearly fully dialed in only to what the body can take in. And we only know that is real. What my eyes can see, what my ears can hear, what my, my skin can touch, or we can weigh, or we can taste, or we can smell, that's real, right? Well, okay, those things are real, but we've come to understand there's a lot more that's real that we can't pick up. I mean, like, how many of you right now, without the assistance of anything outside of your body, are um, tracking stuff through the Wi-Fi that's being broadcast in this room right now? Signals in this room right now, and you can access anything on the Internet right now because of the Wi-Fi that's in the air. Anybody got a brain that's able to do that? Nobody in this service or the first service that could do that. How about all the cell phone signals that are being broadcast through this room right now, all the conversations that are available to us? Anybody got a brain that's just, a, or, you know, a body that's dialed in to be able to hear that? Or the TV signals, or the shortwave radio signals, or, you know, the weather, constant weather broadcast, or the radio stations? I mean, you ever just stop to think what a weird thing is? How much stuff's being broadcast in this room right now, and you're not hearing any of it? Can you imagine if you transported in time somebody from like the year 1700 and you said, you know, you wouldn't believe what all is being broadcast through the room right now. If we could put up the right kind of antenna, the right piece of equipment, all the songs we could listen to, all the data we could download, all the TV pictures that we could see, and they'd be looking at you like, you have lost your freaking mind. You're telling me that's like all in the room right now? Oh yeah, it really is. It absolutely is. Our bodies just can't pick it up, but we've got devices that can pick up all those things and so we actually are now informed enough that we go oh yeah there's all kinds of stuff going on around us our our bodies can't take that in because we're, we're not wired to be able to to do we don't you know we didn't come wi-fi equipped we didn't come with a tv antenna or any of the equipment to take in those signals but they're there but our bodies can take in a lot of stuff well here's the cool thing about you you're not just a body and a soul God gave you this soul, this mind and all, that's perceiving a lot of stuff through your body, but guess what else He gave you? On the other side, He gave you a spirit. 
Now, when we talk about the spirit of a human being, a lot of times, and, and I've used this analogy before, it's like, you know, think of it as three concentric circles on the outside. You've got the body, and we're all familiar with the body and what it looks like and the five senses. And, all. and then inside of that, it, there's the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions. And then inside of that is the innermost part of our being, who we are, and it is the spirit. And the spirit is that, that place. It's like a bubble, you know. It's the place that only the spirit of God would come to dwell. And, and that, that feels cozy, but it's so inadequate to really try and understand how the spirit of a human being works. Because... The, the Spirit isn't just like a bubble or some little depository that is like, bloop, the Holy Spirit just got put in there, keep him in a little capsule. It, it's not that way at all. Really, when you think about your spirit, it's almost a better analogy to say your spirit is like a port on your flat screen TV. I've got a great flat screen TV in my den. It's really cool, but it is a worthless piece of furniture unless you plug something into that, that port that allows me to access all those hundreds of channels of TV and sports coverage. You know what I mean? It's just taking up space until you plug something into it. And, and just by making that connection, there's almost no limit to the flow of, of pictures and sounds and faces and information that can come in through that, right? Basic concept. That's what the spirit of a man or woman does. There's so much in reality that the body cannot possibly take in. Just as your eyes can't see a large part of the electromagnetic spectrum and your ears can't hear a large range of pitches and all these other things that your body cannot hope to, to digest because it wasn't made to do that. The cool thing is you're not just a body and you're not just a soul. You are a spirit. And even though you may not have been aware of this, a lot of people have, have never really learned to dial into what's happening in your spirit. You were made a spirit because God is spirit and those who worship Him must know and worship Him in spirit and in truth. You see, you, you have this port in you. It's like you have a, a, a special port and in much the same way you plug in your flat screen TV, you were made to plug in to God Himself so that His thoughts, His words... His character, His very presence could be pumped personally into you nonstop for the rest of your life. And, and here's the thing that becomes like the basic challenge of the Christian life. Okay, here I am, body, soul, and spirit. And I was born just naturally knowing how to encounter the world through my body. So I like stuff I can see. I like things I can touch and taste. I like things I can eat and drink and, you know, Things that my body can appreciate. And unless somebody helps me to understand, I can live my entire life just so deaf to all the spiritual reality that's going on around me. It's not just about the Spirit of God, though that's primary, but everything that's happening in the spiritual realm. And there's, can we just agree, there is far more real stuff in the spiritual realm than there is in the natural and the physical. Would you agree with that? That there's more stuff happening beyond what your five senses can take in than in the world that your five senses can take in. And wouldn't you agree with that? So wouldn't you think if this is where God speaks to me is through the Spirit and that there's so much more reality that only happens in the spiritual realm, that it's really important that I learn to perceive things through, not only through my body, through my eyes, the ears, the other senses, but through my spirit. This is why like the discipline of fasting is so vital in a Christian's walk. Because fasting is when 
a person who is essentially a soul in a body that has a spirit has spent their you know so much of their time and energy you know listening to stuff noise and music and tv and you know taking in all the busy stuff in the world eating and drinking and and just staying busy in the body and fasting is a time of going i'm going to i want to dial that down i'm going to cut the volume down on a lot of those things i'm i'm even going to take some time where i'm not feeding my body i'm not I'm not trying to take care of those five senses because i really desperately need to get my soul for at least a season, really focused in on trying to perceive what is the Spirit saying? What is God up to over here? Because I need to, I need to have ears that are tuned into that. Listen, I spent so many years of my Christian life as a younger Christian going, what is wrong with me? Because I hear all these Christians saying, you know, God told me this and God said that. And I'm like, I need some bigger Q-tips or something because I need my ears cleaned out. There is something wrong with me. I'm not hearing what they're hearing. It's because I was listening on the wrong side. God is spirit. He speaks to, through a different portal in my life. He doesn't thunder from heaven where these big ears can hear it. He speaks to a different part of who I am. And I have to learn to dial into that. Okay, that's a, we, we're going to stop. We go far down that road. But I say that just to say, you cannot be holy and whole, fit for the Lord Jesus, unless you're whole in body, soul, and spirit. Now, today's all about healing. Next week will be all about healing. Now, we tend to think when we hear, oh, this is going to be about healing. Well, if you're sick or you're physically in pain, then this might be for you. Well, yeah, sure. But that is just a fraction of the picture. Because there's so much more to you than just your body. And, you know, we could be like super spiritual mind and say, well, you know, nothing in the physical really matters. It's all about the spirit and about... The soul, well, yeah, that sounds good until I take a hammer to your big toe and then suddenly your body probably matters too. You know, God cares about all three parts of who you are. And so having laid that as a framework, I want to just remind you that there are six ways that you can be sick. And it's not that one's more important than the others. Of the six, the most obvious one is to be sick in the body, uh, a bodily sickness or injury, and... We don't even really have to explain that other than to say we can be talking about a common cold, cancer, or chronic back pain, or anything in between. You're you're physically in pain. You're physically ill. God cares about that. That's one of the things we want to talk about. Second way is mental illness. This is not about the brain primarily, though things that happen to your brain can lead to mental illness. but, But, you know, cancer of the brain is a physical problem. Mental illness is when, primarily mental illness is when you don't know and have appropriate boundaries literally in your thought processes. We're not talking about setting boundaries in your life. We're talking about basic boundaries in your You know, p- people love to say that, that line that everybody uses about, you know, repeating behavior and hoping to get a different result. That's the definition of insanity. That doesn't have anything to do with insanity. That's just like a common expression. Insanity has to do with not having normal boundaries in your mind, the primary boundary being to know the difference between what's real and what's imagined. Knowing what you've just dreamed up or what, you know, the voices in your head, what's your voice, what's a a, a real person's voice, what's a demonic voice, what's a just, you know, just no boundaries. All the fences have been taken out in your thought processes. Thoughts are uncontrolled or whatever. Mental illness. The third one is emotional sickness. And that's different from mental illness. You can be essentially mentally healthy 
and have a, be very sick at the level of your emotions. And, and we're familiar with this. I mean, a lot of us know what this feels like. You know, when you constantly are dealing with depression, a lot of people deal with severe depression. They are not mentally ill and oftentimes are not physically sick. They are emotionally sick and in need of healing. Severe depression, uh, overwhelming fear and anxiety, controlling anger, Overwhelming sense of loneliness, even though there are plenty of people around and and people who care about you. Just overwhelming feeling of loneliness. I mean, we could go on. You get emotionally sick. The fourth one is one that's going to sound unfamiliar, and actually it is very common, and that is a sickness of the will. Just as you, there, is, there are clear and distinct sicknesses of the mind, sicknesses with the emotions, there are sicknesses with our wills. Now, a person who is sick and in need of healing because of a problem with their, the will part of who they are, this can manifest a number of different ways. One of the real obvious ways that sometimes will show up is a person just has almost no ability to express a will, you know, to make a decision. For instance, it, it can be so bad that it's like, oh, please don't ever make me decide where we're going to go eat lunch. I, just don't make me decide. And there are a lot of people who are going, ooh, that's me. Who just despise having to make a decision. And for others, and, and that in and of itself, it's like, you know, deciding where to go to lunch. Oh, that's not really not that big a deal. But think on a broader scale because the person who really has a sickness with their will, they're going to have a difficult time expressing and enforcing their will on much more important matters than whether or not we're going to go to lunch. It can manifest itself as being unable to create or enforce normal healthy boundaries. And that, you know, using the illustration of lunch, that can manifest itself as I, I can set all kinds of boundaries as far as what I should and shouldn't eat and I can't enforce them. And it's become a major debilitating problem, you know, because I, I can't control what I eat or what I drink. You know, a person who goes, I know I've got to get rid of, you know, alcohol in my life. And I've committed a hundred times to do it. I see how destructive it is for me, for my relationships. I've got to stop, got to stop, I'm going to stop. And I keep making a decision, but I have no willpower. I have no ability to enforce this boundary. There is a sickness in my will. Or a person in terms of relationships that's going, oh, why do I keep doing this? I keep running to relationships that are so unhealthy and all the boundaries that I set up and I say, I am not going to do this. I'm not going to run back to an unhealthy, all-physical relationship and all this junk. And yet, I can't enforce those boundaries. And, and here's the really scary thing. Because we operate in a world where there are a lot of beings around us that see what's going on and help to make connections that we're not even aware that we're being influenced. And it feels like you are attracted like a magnet to people who are boundary violators. And so you just get taken advantage of all the time. And when you try and make boundaries, you just run over all the time. There's a sickness of the will that needs to be healed. A fifth kind of sickness is spiritual sickness, and we, we won't talk at length about this. We'll touch on it again in a minute. But, of course, the worst form of spiritual sickness is actually spiritual death, and that is when your spirit is completely empty. There's no connection to the Spirit of God. You've never trusted Christ for forgiveness has been made alive. and There is nothing whole in your spirit. And, and then, of course, there are all kinds of spiritual sickness that come because of, of lingering, repeated, unconfessed sins or, or you know, evil spiritual influences in our lives that we become spiritually sick and then the sixth and final one is the presence of a demonic spirit it's a very common problem just as common for believers as unbelievers basically and it's a it's a little bit of an odd one that we create a sixth category for because that in and of itself 
isn't, it really shouldn't be called a sixth category of sickness, but just to explain why it's on there, that one causes any of the other five. Demonic attachment will certainly make you spiritually sick, but there are demonic attachments which will be targeted specifically at your body, spirits of infirmity. There were a lot of people that Jesus healed that in order to heal them, he had to cast out a spirit of infirmity for them to be made well. So you get physically sick sometimes as a result of a demonic attachment. Other spirits, your mind is the place that they go after, and they're constantly speaking and, and creating confusion, and just, they, are, they are just driving you crazy at the point of your, your mind. Others, that their target is your emotions. And oftentimes those spirits will have names that will be the thing that they do, you know, within your emotions. Anger, fear, depression, despair will be their names many times. And that's what they go after. They, they just work on your emotions. It is their goal to keep you at that place all the time, to keep you angry and bitter, to keep you depressed at a point of despair. Other spirits will target your will. That is their job. To ensure that you do not have the strength or the ability to set boundaries and enforce them. So you see how these things can bleed over onto one another. Oftentimes, even though these are distinct ways that we can be sick, one can lead to another. I'll give you a couple of examples. A person has a terrible accident. Uh, suppose a guy's in a, in a bad automobile accident and, and part of his spine is crushed. There are vertebrae and discs that are, that are messed up badly, crushed and there's a lot of pain that results from that, put in hospital and traction for, for you know, long months. And so it starts out with a physical problem. Injury causing debilitating pain. It looks like, okay, this person just needs physical healing. But look how many things spin off from that. He's put out of work for months because of the injury, and he's dealing with terrible pain. And those two things combine in such a way that depression sets in. That is not uncommon at all. They're in so much pain and can't work and so can't take care of the family. And so now overwhelming depression sets in. We now have a, an emotional sickness in addition to the physical problem. But along the way, the person has gotten so angry and bitter because of this. Because the guy who caused the accident didn't have insurance and he wasn't hurt. And his life went on like normal, and he hasn't had to pay, and now my life has been ruined, and I can't forgive him for that. And so I have become so bitter, guess what's happened now? I opened myself up to, to demonization because of unforgiveness and bitterness, and now you know, I, there's demonic junk going on, I've become spiritually sick, and that, that demonic attack is manifesting itself in a variety of different ways. And oh, along the way, I had to take a lot of medication because of this injury. And even though the back, eventually there was surgery and, and healing has taken place. And on the x-rays, it looks like everything is well. The pain never goes away because the spirit of infirmity is there to make sure that the pain never leaves. As long as he's in your body, the pain doesn't go away even if the spine gets completely well. As long as that spirit of infirmity gets to stay there. And so I have to keep taking these painkillers. And now, you know, all this stuff's going on, and, and now I get to the point, I don't even have a will anymore. I, do you see how many different ways you get sick, and it all goes back to one thing? And the weird thing is, the body actually healed. On the x-rays, everything's put in order, the body is well, but this person is sick in just about every way you can be sick. By every x-ray and human standard, they're well, and they're in excruciating pain in a terrible place, 
in desperate need of healing. Or what about that woman who, when she was a little girl, dad was inappropriate with her in unspeakable ways. Her own daddy sexually violated her multiple times. It caused some physical pain and some physical trauma. It was a physical event initially. She found out the hard way that there's a lot more than something physical that happens in an occurrence like that. She experienced terrible emotional pain. And she found out the hard way that you can't talk about that. That to tell is to create chaos. And so she learned she's supposed to stuff all that down and hold on to that. And what started out as some physical and emotional pain has turned into a lifetime of guilt and shame. And now as an adult, a constant battle with depression, with fear and anxiety. And it doesn't all just connect in her mind back to this thing that happened so many years ago. But she finds herself now as an adult who is sick in her will because every time she's in a relationship, she doesn't seem worthy of a healthy relationship and she can't enforce any boundaries. And she winds up getting violated sexually every time she's in a relationship. And when she finally finds a man that she believes is going to marry her and take care of her and be good to her, and she gives herself in marriage to this man, it winds up being a terrible relationship because she can't trust. She doesn't know how to be in a healthy relationship with a man. And now there's all this anger and there's all this emotional sickness that boils over and it kills every relationship that she's ever in. Now, if we checked her out at the doctor, she's healthy from head to toe. Not one thing wrong with her physically. But she's spiritually sick because there's demonic transference basically every time somebody's violated sexually. Emotionally, she's a wreck. Her will seems like it's not under her control anymore. I mean, you tell me. Who's in greater need of healing? The person who comes in and they've got the flu or they're battling some form of cancer or something, or this woman whose bodily is com- body is completely well and her life is a wreck. Which one needs more healing? <laughs> Sounds to me like they equally need healing. I say all this just to say, can you begin to appreciate how, yes, there are some people in the room right now who have physical needs. You're sick or you're in pain, you've been injured, and you need for your body to be touched by God and to be healed. But can you also begin to appreciate how there are far more people in this room who are very sick, just as sick, but your body is whole. But you need healing in your mind or in your emotions, in your will, in the spiritual part of who you are, or you need to be set free. Can you see why the whole concept of healing is very broad And there probably are not many of us in the room who don't need to to experience healing right now. And I realize that the dilemma for many of us at this point is a very simple one. That you may be saying, look, I get that. You didn't have to stand there and talk that long to convince me that I need healing in my life. The problem isn't convincing me that I need healing. The problem is I've asked God for healing. And I've done it a bunch of times. I've done it for an extended period of time and I've never gotten it. Something doesn't work. Something's wrong. God either doesn't love me, He doesn't care. Somehow there's a disconnect. I don't know what it is, but as long as I have asked for deliverance and healing, I get nothing. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if we said, how many of us 
are there or have been there, there'd be a lot of hands raised if we got honest. How do we connect with God's plan for healing? Well, the scriptures reveal a pattern that's vitally important, and, and it just blows my mind. I've been in church my whole life and paid attention most of the time. I went beyond church. I've been in seminary. spent four and a half years in seminary. Do you know nobody even casually got onto the subject in four and a half years of seminary of God's plan for healing? It seems like it would have come up. And I went to a good seminary. Again, I mean, do you not realize there is something fundamentally wrong? We spent a long time trying to teach me and a bunch of other guys how to preach. We didn't spend one day saying... What's God's plan for bringing healing or deliverance in a person's life? Something's wrong. There is a pattern that seems to be repeated in Jesus' ministry and that the church needs to follow in terms of healing. And the first part of it is so very simple. If we continue on down in Luke chapter 9, we see that Jesus sent out the twelve. They, they went out two by two. They spent some period of time, we assume some weeks, healing people, preaching the kingdom, casting out demons. They're blown away. Crowds come to each of these guys that have gone in six different directions, and they follow the twelve back to Jesus. So can you just see these six beehives of activity, of people coming and saying, look, I brought another friend, I brought another family member. Can you help them? Can you touch them? And you, you just see how that multiplies. And so now all of this beautiful healing and chaos rolled together converges on Jesus. And Jesus is trying to go, guys, we need a timeout to go and you guys get some rest and us spend some time alone and they just can't get away because now they are just the middle of this vortex of, of just need and excitement and people pressing in. And so in verse 11, while all that's going on and we're wondering, well, how is Jesus going to get away? Well, here's how Jesus responded. He welcomed them and he taught them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who were sick. We go, well, what's so profound in that? There are three parts and there are two things that come before the healing of the sick. First of all, he welcomed them. What's the big deal about that? There's actually something really significant for us in that. And, and I'll just admit, until the last few weeks, I never, never really got this part of the deal. But think about it. It's Jesus. If 10,000 people showed up and they were all sick, he had the power to go, everybody's well now in my name. Now go home and have a good day. True? It would be impressive, wouldn't it? Everybody would go, wow. He never healed that way. Never healed that way. When it says he welcomed them, it means he literally took the time for them and he received them in a personal way. This is the mind-boggling thing. I mean, think about the press of the crowds. And Jesus, I mean, can you remember one story in the Gospels where Jesus just went, here, Holy Ghost, be well, be well. Be free. And he just threw it out. He could have done it that way. He never did. Jesus' way was always to go, Forrest, come here. Let's take a moment. Let's talk about what's happening with you. Let's t tell me why you're here today, Forrest. Now, Stuart, let's talk to you. Let's, let's see what's going on in your life. Let's, let's talk about that. What do you need today? Jesus welcomed people in a personal way. Don't run past this. There is such a huge principle a lot of us miss. God's plan for healing in your life, it is always a, a point of personal connection and ministry. I never saw this before, but it will almost always involve 
some person in your life. There are a bunch of us thinking, if I'm going to get healing from God, I just I need to pray. I need to trust God. I need to ask God. Sure, you ought to do all that stuff. But you need to recognize that within the kingdom, there is always a person, virtually always, a person that's going to be involved in that. I mean, the places that Jesus sent the six pairs out and then the 36 pairs of people out to do ministry in, he could have just said, in those cities, healing to the city of Bethsaida, healing to Sidon and Tyre, healing to the Decapolis, deliverance. He never did that. Each time he would go, you know, Johnny, you, Michelle, you go. And you're going to encounter people. And one by one, you welcome them and you minister to them. And I'm going to bring healing through you. I'm going to bring deliverance through you. There's going to be somebody in your life that you're going to welcome. And healing and deliverance is going to be ministered through you or to you through them a huge part of the time. Some of you are going to have to go home and scratch your head and think about that for a little bit. But I'm just telling you, you need to have to wrestle with that. That God's healing in your life is most of the time going to be tied to someone else who is an instrument of healing, who helps to stir up your faith, who believes God on your behalf, somebody that he's going to use in your life to to bring his welcome, his presence, his power to you. Beyond the welcome, it says he taught them about the kingdom of God before he healed. Why is that? The crowds are bringing the sick. The crowds are bringing the demon-possessed. They didn't come for a Sunday school lesson. They came to be healed. They came to be set free. And Jesus would teach them. Well, we know, as we talked about in the, in the Deliverance, the Spiritual Warfare series, that there's a reason why Jesus didn't just go around and just throw out deliverance. You know, everybody's free. Now go home. Why? Well, Jesus explained why. He said, you just cast demons out of people, and they don't know anything to do differently. Those demons are going to come back with a whole lot of friends in tow, And the person's going to wind up a lot worse in a week or in a month because they didn't change anything. They're going to wind up more demonized than they were in the first place if that's all that you do. So Jesus would always speak truth into their lives. He would give sound kingdom instruction to them so that they weren't susceptible to that again. Well, there's a a similar principle when it comes to healing. That Jesus doesn't just go around and say, feel better, feel better, feel better, feel better. Now everybody go home and you're well. Unfortunately, because of our makeup, pain, sickness, suffering have to be a fundamental part of us at times turning to Christ, depending on God, and oftentimes ever getting to a place of seeking God to the point that we unearth sickness, spiritual unhealthiness, relational unhealthiness, garbage that's buried deep in our lives that we would never know about had we not experienced physical sickness along the way. Think back to the message last week on communion. You remember Paul said, you know, you come and receive communion, you're receiving Christ. Many of you do that in an inappropriate way. You don't search your own heart, confess your sin, and because of that, you you ingest judgment in your life. Many people are sick because of this, and he said this wouldn't happen if you did the whole issue of confession first. You begin to see how what he's saying is, and he goes on to say in verse 32 of 1 Corinthians 11, God allows this. God allows sickness to come in your life to unearth this unconfessed other stuff, this other spiritual sickness in your life so that you don't face the judgment that the world faces, so that this stuff can be brought up and be dealt with. 
You see, the, the equivalent of what we're talking about is this. Suppose you have an appendicitis. You showed up in church today. And, Man, my side is just hurting terribly. Your appendix is inflamed. It's in a bad way. That thing needs to come out. And we say, good news. We have healing for all of you. It's called morphine. And we're going to make you feel better today. We've got a big supply. We've got a lifetime supply of morphine for you. Here, take this and you'll feel better before you walk out the door. Guess what? It'll work. The pain will go away. And as long as you keep taking that morphine, you won't feel any pain until the day you die. And that day is coming probably later this week, certainly this month. Because your appendix is going to rupture and you're going to die and you will have felt great right up until the week that you die. Because it's not enough to remove the pain. You've got to get in there and deal with the problem, right? And sickness and suffering often works this way in our lives. That Jesus is going, I would love to take the pain away. I would love to see you free of sickness. But I love you enough, I'm not just going to numb your pain. The pain is going to remain until you are willing to let me go in and help you deal with some root causes so that we can bring real healing to those other five areas that we don't tend to pay as much attention to. And if we could go in and deal with that, then it wouldn't be a big deal to just get the the pain gone, to let there be physical healing in your life. Jesus dealt with root causes. He gave sound instruction. And His healing would be at times predicated by other stuff. There would be instruction that would come along with this, or there would be ministry beyond just, oh, here, let me heal your sickness. And so I'm gonna, we're just going to barely be able to touch on this today. Next week, for the second half of the message, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about root causes. But we're going we're to do this very briefly because we're going to take some time to be able to pray for one another. But I want to mention to you just very quickly three of the root causes of sickness that we need to be attentive to. I want to be very clear about this. I don't want you to misunderstand. I am not suggesting today that everyone who's sick, everyone who's in pain, everyone who's having mental or emotional distress, that it's because of some spiritual root cause. Sometimes you're sick because you just got sick. You got exposed to a virus. You got bacteria in your system. You experienced an injury. And there's no mysterious or spiritual cause to it. There's a natural cause. We're not saying that everything has a spiritual cause. But there are a lot of things that do. There are a lot of things which do have a root cause. And we don't want to run past any of those things. Because we're not going to be able to address the sickness without dealing with the root cause. The first of three that I'll mention to you is this. That we first need to be made spiritually alive through faith in Jesus. The principle is just this simple. Don't expect to access the power of God for healing in your life if you're not willing to receive God in your life. It's just that simple. Ephesians 2 reminds us that we're born spiritually dead. All of us are. But that Christ is the one who makes us alive when we place our faith in Him. And some people, unfortunately, are at the terrible place. You've experienced so much pain, so much heartache, so much physical pain, emotional pain, that you've been angry at God. And the thought of placing your trust in a God who would allow those things to happen in your life seems so terrible and foreign. And it's like, God, the only way I would ever trust you is for you to remove all my pain and then I might think about it. And you've got it backwards. Because you can't hope to experience the healing power of God in your life until you're first willing to accept the presence and forgiveness of God in your life. Make sense? 
It's just like the, the mother of the little girl that was in desperate need of healing because of demonic oppression. But this woman was a foreigner, lived outside of Israel. And when Jesus encountered her, he obviously thought when he first met her that she was not a believer of any kind, wouldn't have any frame of reference for faith. And so he initially didn't respond to her appeals at all. And when he fa- finally did respond, he's like, I'm sorry, I'm here for for the people of Israel, people who, who will understand. And it wouldn't just be like numbing the pain, you know. And, and she kept pressing on until Jesus finally realized, oh, wait a minute. Somebody has told you about me. You are a person of faith. I, I get it now. You, you get who I am and you've placed your faith in me. He says, woman, you do have great faith. Go, your daughter's healed. That's not just about faith for healing. That's about she had placed her faith in Jesus. This is pretty much a prerequisite for expecting the power of God in our lives is to be spiritually made alive through faith in Jesus. And that brings us to the second basic thing. And that is that we must experience forgiveness through confession. And I realize that on hearing that, you may go, wait a minute. The first thing you just said is what accesses us to, to God's forgiveness, right? Yeah, now I'm talking to Christians. For, for believers in the room who are going, okay, I, listen, I've already ex- accepted Jesus. I don't have an empty spirit. I have a connection to the life of God in my spirit. But here's the thing. As a forgiven child of God... We still come to points in our life, in our lives, where we desperately need to deal with our own sin, to confess it to God and to someone else. I know this sounds like a Catholic concept to Protestants most of the time. It's not Catholic, it's Christian. Confession. Confessing our sin to ourselves, to God. And to someone else. And by the way, confession is not admitting that you did it. Confession is agreeing with God and turning from it. You get that, don't you? God doesn't need you to admit that you did anything. He knew you did it. He knew you were going to do it before you did it. He's not waiting for you to own it in that sense. He, he gets that. Confession is agreeing with God about what you did and turning from it so that He can actually wipe the slate clean for you. Confession brings healing. David summed it up well when he said in Psalm 32, When I kept silent about my sin, my body became weak because I groaned all day long. Day and night, your heavy hand punished me. I became weaker and weaker as I do in the heat of summer. And then I admitted my sin to you. I didn't cover up the wrong that I'd done. I said, I will admit my lawless acts to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. He sums it up so well in Psalm 103.3. He forgives all my sins. And heals my diseases. Those things are paired together for a reason. Unconfessed sin leads to sickness in the body. Leads to sickness in the soul. And confession gives us access to healing. It just does. You remember the story, I'm sure if you grew up in church, you heard it in Sunday school, about the man who was a paralytic and his four friends brought him to Jesus. The house was full so they couldn't get to Jesus. They climbed up on the roof, made a hole in the roof, lowered him down in front of Jesus. And we're all like, oh, good for the four friends and what a, what a cool story. But don't run past what Jesus did in ministering to this man. Here's a paralytic. Not hard to figure out what he needs, is it? I mean, in our minds, what would we do? All right, Jesus, stop preaching. Everybody stop. We're going to pray for this man to be healed, right? Because that's what he needs. He needs to have his body healed. That is not what Jesus did. You know what Jesus did? He stopped his preaching and looked at the man and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Don't you think the four friends are looking through the hole going, Really? 
Do you think we came so that you could announce his sins to be forgiven? Did you miss the obvious Jesus? He's laying on a mat, being dropped through a hole for a reason. His body doesn't work. You think you could help with that? Jesus is the one standing there looking at him going, you're just seeing what's wrong with his body. I'm seeing that there's a much bigger sickness in his life. This guy is carrying around guilt and so much garbage that before we can deal with his body, we've got to deal with something deeper in him that needs to be healed. Son, look at me. You're forgiven. When, when the Father looks at you, clean slate, he sees a son that he loves. You're forgiven. Now everybody gets mad about that because you can't, you can't say his sins are forgiven. Some of us in the room still kind of get like, are you telling me I'm supposed to declare that people's sins are forgiven? That's exactly what you're supposed to do. That's why Jesus said to his disciples after the resurrection, where you forgive people's sins, they're forgiven. And where you don't forgive people's sins, they're not forgiven. doesn't mean you can get people into heaven or keep them out of heaven. It means the blessings that come with forgiveness or the curses that come with unforgiveness are tied to us and our willingness to help people come to a place of confession and hearing those words declared, Brother, in Jesus' name, your sins are forgiven. As you confess that to me and repent of it, I speak for Jesus when I tell you your sins are forgiven. There's power unleashed in that. That's why James says in James 5, 16. So then confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you will be healed. And we may read that and go, well, it's talking about a different kind of healing. No, it's not. Read it in context. It's the same paragraph where he says, go get the elders of the church. Let them anoint you with oil and pray over you so that you'll be healed. It's the same thing. How does confession of my sin to a Christian brother tie to my healing? Because they are tied together. My, I am one being, body, soul, and spirit. And when there is something sick in my soul or in my spirit, my body gets sick. My body suffers as a result. And God's healing is a personal thing. Some of you, you've confessed your sin to God and you're still carrying around a tractor-trailer load of guilt and shame. And as many times as you've confessed that same sin to God and God's going, I forgave that a long time ago. Are you still struggling with that? You know where the healing's going to come? When you find one brother or sister who loves you and loves God and you can share that with them. Confess it. Biblically confess it. And let them say to you, it's under the blood. In Jesus' name, you are forgiven. Something supernatural happens in that moment. As a burden is lifted and healing begins to happen from within. You don't need to stand up and confess it to the church. But with those things that you can't get free from, you need to find one person you can trust. And then the third thing that I'll mention just briefly is we've got to be willing to forgive Others who've hurt us. In the same way that this applies to matters of deliverance, it does to healing. Jesus said, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When we don't forgive, it allows a root of bitterness to grow up. Hebrews 12 talks about this when it says, See that no one falls short of the grace of God, and no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. When you stay bitter, unforgiven, angry, hurt, it makes you sick. That's why Paul said, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, and forgive just as Jesus has forgiven you. That's necessary for us to experience healing. I'll close with this story. Pat had had a major back injury that had gotten her to the point that she, was, she lived her whole 
life when she was awake in a, in a hard plastic or fiberglass, basically tube to support her, her body. Her spine was so fouled up. And the doctors had said, within a year you'll be in a wheelchair and you'll never walk again after that. So she had come to a, a weekend retreat that was a healing retreat. She's hoping maybe they can do something for my back, get rid of some pain, I can continue to walk. And through the first evening of teaching, what we've been doing today, what we've started today, is some of the stuff that she heard, groundwork instruction in order to experience healing. And part of what she was told was what I just shared. Don't expect healing if you're not willing to receive forgiveness and to forgive everyone who's hurt or offended you. She got mad because she had been so deeply hurt and offended by some people. She had been carrying some stuff around for even 30 years against some people, and she got so mad, she got up and just stormed out of the meeting. Tell me i got to forgive people in order to be healed. You can't tell me to forgive. You don't know what these people did to me. And she storms out, and she goes back to her room, and she can't sleep. She goes to bed, but she can't sleep. So finally, about 1.30, she just gets up and gets out a notebook, and it's like, fine. And she starts writing down names. She calls it her hate list. And she makes a list of all the people that she hates, that she's mad at, and that she cannot forgive. And when she gets the list finished, she starts back at the top, and she starts praying through the list and forgiving those people and just declaring it to the Lord. Lord, I, I choose to forgive this person. I choose to forgive what they did. And she prays her way down the whole list. When she's done, she puts the notebook up. She gets back into bed. And this time she falls asleep. Sleeps on through the rest of the night. And then she wakes up in the morning to a very strange thing. She wakes up to the sound of the clock ticking. And the reason that that's so strange is Pat had taken her hearing aids out before she went to bed that night. You see, Pat was almost 100% deaf in one ear and she was 80% deaf in the other ear, and it was hard enough for her to follow a conversation with her hearing aids in, and she had taken them out the night before. Now, she didn't come to this retreat to get her hearing healed. I mean, that just seemed un unheard of, forgive the pun. That seemed outside of the realm of possibility to have, have her ears healed. She came for her back. She didn't even pray about her ears. Nobody prayed over her. But something was unleashed when she prayed through and forgave those people and went to bed and went to sleep. And while she slept, guess what happened? The power of the Holy Spirit was released in her life. And something she didn't even ask for, something she didn't even have the courage to pray for, happened in her life. Her hearing came back. Well, she got up, she put on her brace, and wild her way back to the sessions. Sat through the sessions the rest of the day. She could hear them without her hearing aids. Got to the end of the retreat, and it was time to leave. And she just asked some of the people, she said, you know, you know, here this thing's happened in my life, but, but I came from my back, still in pain, still, you know, supposed to wind up in a wheelchair in the next year. Would you pray for me? I said, sure. They gathered around. They started to pray over her. She was, there was such an anointing from the Holy Spirit, she could no longer stand, and she just <laughs> fell to the ground. So they just prayed over her on the ground. She's lying there in her tube on the ground. And something began to happen inside her. She could feel it up and down her spine. She had to grab hold of the, of the latches on this tube and get out of it because something was going on in her spine. And lying there on the ground, God restored her spine from one end to the other. She began to do calisthenics right there on the floor. She was so 
empowered by the healing of God. She showed up mad and bitter and just hoping she could get out of some back pain. And by the time that little weekend retreat was done, God first healed a heart. Some unforgiveness was released, turned into forgiveness. And from there, healing was restored. A spine was put back in order, more than she could ask or hope for. Friends, that's a picture of how God works. Some of us have been praying for some things that are appropriate for us to pray for, but we've missed some of the basics. We've missed some root causes sometimes. God wants to heal us from the inside out. The last verse I'll share with you is Psalm 147.3, which simply says, He renews our hopes and He heals our bodies. Some of us that have come here today used to have hope for healing and we've lost hope. That's a terrible place to be. I pray that today the Spirit of God would birth hope in your heart to begin to pray and believe God for healing that He wants to give. Would you join me as we pray together right now? Lord, by the power of your Spirit, would you birth hope and faith in our hearts to believe you for what you want to do. Help us to see what you want to do and to receive your healing in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.